I have a question for you. If you think this is a true statement or not, your, your opinion. Life is hard, then you die. You know, that may be true, but it's not the whole truth, is it? Because it does not put God into the equation. Now, what I hope to do today is to um, help you view things, and uh, God is part of the equation. That you include him in things that you look at and are part of. We're going to continue our study today in Ephesians. We've been doing that through the summer. Um, Will Esther did a good job last week kind of ending Ephesians chapter 2. First first couple of chapters of of Ephesians is um, talking about the work of Christ and who he is. Kind of begins the end of it talking about the Gentiles included in with the Jews. But this section in chapter 3, Paul really makes a kind of digression talking about his life and his calling. So the first uh, 13 verses in Ephesians has a little different uh, feel to it. And we're going to read that now, Ephesians 3, uh, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then Paul makes a digression. He started to talk about his, his being in prison, and then he makes this digression. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you will perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made to the which was not made known to the sons of men in order in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus made through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that, here's another key, through the church, the manifold, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May we pray. Lord, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that illumines your word, that brings us into our hearts. We ask, Lord, that your spirit might have your way today. Speak your truth to us, that we might be transformed and and appear more and more like your son, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, now, like any good Presbyterian sermon, I have three points. And they are illustrated here behind me. This is not a loaf of bread over here. This is a rock. And this is kind of symbolic that life is hard. That's point one. Life is hard. Mm, That's a tough rock. I stole that from my neighbor in the dark last night, that rock right there. No, I asked her before I took it. All right. Now, secondly, the second point today is this, that grace is good. And I couldn't think of anything gooder, well, better than pie. And I love pie. And you keep your hands off of it. 
All right, this is my panorama. Anyway, grace is good, represented by the pie over here. And my final point would be, would be this. Church is light. Church is light. I have a candle right back here representing the church's light. So the three points, life is hard, grace is good, and church is light. Those will be our three points today. All right, first, life is hard. Life is hard. Now, if you saw recently about San Francisco, the folks in San Francisco in charge of that have decided to spend $76 million on a safety net over the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. $76 million. You probably don't know this, but Howard Griffin, our senior pastor, recently had a good friend of his drive from Houston to San Francisco and jumped off the bridge. Amazing. Uh, so sad. Broke, broke Howard's heart. 46 people last year jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. 1,400 people total have done that. That's hard. People experience a lot of hardness in life to take their own life, don't they? That safety net, $76 million. And I thought to myself, Jesus is our safety net, isn't he? He gives us purpose. He gives us directive. He gives us a reason to live. And he's prepared eternity for us. And since Jesus is our safety net. But life is hard, and many people experience that. Now, if you're not going through a hard time today, you know you will. Uh, it's a one-on-one kind of deal. One person's alive, we all die at some point. We all experience bumps and bruises in life. We all have those experiences. Life is hard and difficult at points. But the Bible is very realistic, isn't it? It's a very realistic uh, book. It talks a lot about pain and suffering, and that's a lot of our experiences. In fact, Jesus is called the man of sorrows. Uh, the Bible also says that Jesus learned obedience in what? And that which he suffered. So Jesus understands our sorrows. He is a man of sorrow. Now in Ephesians 3.1, Paul starts this off, and as I, I kind of mentioned in this section of Scripture, he starts off talking, and then we have really about a 12-verse digression. And at first he's talking about being a prisoner. And this, the Ephesians is one of the prison epistles, meaning Paul wrote from prison. But right on, Paul is just saying, hey, I'm not a prisoner of Nero or of Caesar. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in charge of my life. He's working his purposes out. This may be a, a, a suffering, painful situation I'm in, but I'm not Caesar's prisoner. I am the Lord Jesus Christ. He is working my, his plans and purposes out. And in verse 13, we get back to that point after the discussion. Paul says this. He, he's talking to the Ephesians, and they're his friends. And you know, when your friends suffer, you suffer, right? When people you love, they, you know, hurt, you hurt. And, and Paul, in verse 13, is trying to encourage his friends when he says that. When he says this, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings. So he's trying to lift up the Ephesians to the end to not be discouraged by the hard times that he is experiencing. Now, Paul knows, and we all know, that when we go through hard times, painful experiences, a lot of times our faith, our faith shakes. We begin to wonder, why is this happening to me? Doesn't God love me? Why is this happening to this person I love? Why doesn't he heal her? Isn't he powerful? What's going on here? So often when pain and suffering and tough things happen, our faith is shaken, is shook by that. How do you respond when things aren't going the way you want them? When pain and suffering happens to you, or for those you love. Well, Tim Keller says this about pain and suffering. I think it's a good insight. He says this, the stakes are high. Suffering will either leave you a much better person or a much worse one than you were before. Trials and troubles in life, which are inevitable, we all experience those, will either make you or break you. But either way, you will not remain the same. How true. 
Now, we all know family relationships are probably where we most experience. I don't know if you, when you've had, when you have loved ones hurting, maybe a, a parent in the dying process or a, a child. And, and as I stand here today, I reflect back to 10 years ago when I was standing here and not three blocks behind me, one of my children were, were in jail. I was weeping that day. I was assisting in worship, trying to hide it, but it was difficult. It was painful. And he had six years of very, uh, we, there, were, there were arguments, there were nights of tears, there were nights wondering where. It was a very painful, hard experience for me and my family that we went through. Uh, interesting, the younger four at that point kind of watched all that go on, and part of their faith story is that we saw the war going on in the home, and we said, we're not going that direction, we're doing something different. So God was already kind of using, even in the midst of that pain and suffering. As I look back on those experiences today, and I'm so glad to tell you today, he's in worship regularly. I'm sure as we speak here, he's probably in worship. And that is great. So things have changed through uh, the last 10 years. But what, is, what did that do in our lives, in Jerry's in my life? Well, I think it, it sensitizes us. I, I do love the expression that, that parents take too, way too much credit for their kids' successes and way too much blame for their failures. You just love your kids. You just love your kids the best you can. But God did a lot of things. I think I'm much more sympathetic. I'm empathetic with people. Um, it's interesting. I probably talk more about uh, my oldest son than I do the other four. Because people relate to that, that brokenness and that hurt and that pain. Because we all go through it, don't we? So God uses it. He uses it in our, in our life. I, I do like that expression, too, that, that uh, I always thought God gave you kids so you could love them to raise them. They'd love Jesus and be faithful. No, no, no. The truth is God gives you kids for your sanctification. <laughs> He's working on your life to conform you to the image of Christ by giving you children. Now, we all know people, though, who's, when they have questions, they go through hard and painful times, they, really, they kind of drop God. They say, well, if God's not going to do this, I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. If that's, if that's the way he's going to act, I don't want any part of that. But that's not always the case. Uh, when people go through hard times, they don't always walk away from God. And again, Tim Keller says this, very insightful. But at the same time, I learned that just as many people find God through affliction and suffering, they find that adversity moves them towards God rather than away. When pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see that, that we, finally, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives, that we, that we never were. Isn't that true? You might, you, might, you might think you're running stuff. You're not. You're not. He may give you a little freedom of points to make, you know, but he is working his purposes and his plans out. John Erborg, who's, who's a friend of mine, uh, says this. He says, every church staff should have, have somebody in charge of pain distribution. Because he knows, and, and, and the truth is, when we go through pain and suffering, it's really a growth-producing experience. We really, as we seek him, as we say, Lord, help, as we seek his face, we grow through the hard times, the hard experiences of life. Uh, as we lean into him, we grow and become closer to him. I guess it was Augustine that said that really all sin is disordered love. We love things in the wrong order. But then when hard times come, we reprioritize uh, what's important to us. I had a good friend who uh, became a pastor of a large church in Texas. And he said, you know, and, and his son was, had, was going through cancer. His 10-year-old son was going through cancer. He said, you know, Murray, the problems in church, the things that come up mean so much less to me today. They don't bother me because my son has cancer. When you go through hard and difficult times, it reorders your priorities. It reorders your loves. Now, I wish I could say there was an easy explanation for why and, and each of the pain and the suffering you go through. There really is no easy explanation because things are so, everybody's experiences are so different. But there's one thing I can say that, about all our pain and suffering. Your pain and suffering 
uh, when you experience that, it does, not, it does not mean that God does not love you. Anytime you p- experience pain, the suffering, the struggles of life, it does not mean that God does not love you. He loves you. He cares for you. You only need to look to his son, Jesus Christ. God loved his son mightily, had a terrific heart for his son, but he allowed his son to suffer for you and for me. Jesus Christ, the perfect man, suffered and learned obedience, and that what he suffered, and ultimately went to a cross for you. His suffering was redemptive, and your suffering can be redemptive too. Okay, second point. This is going to be responsive on this one. My second point. This is the pie side over here. Life is hard. We sure know that, don't we? But also, grace is good. Now, there's a little expression. We'll see what kind of Presbyterians you are. Life is good. What? God is good all the time. All the time. Okay, that's fair. You're better than 830. Okay, let's try that again. All right. God is good all the time. Very good. Very good. All right. Also, grace is good all the time. Grace is good all the time. Now, Paul, in this section of Scripture, in, chapter, in verse 2, in verse 2 talks about that he received grace of revelation, that God revealed the truth of the gospel to him in verse 2. And then in verse 7, Paul talks about the grace he again received as he received a commission. God said, Paul, I'm going to use you among the Gentiles. So Paul was a great recipient of God's grace. But he was humble. He recognized what a great sinner he was. But he was a recipient of so much grace. He uses a word uh, three or four times in this section of Scripture about a mystery. He says that he uses the word of mystery. Now, when we hear the word mystery, we think, okay, murder mystery. i got to figure out who done it. Da, da, da. i got to work and figure out, ah, that's a solution. But in the Greek here, when Paul uses the word mystery, it's really the opposite. Mystery is something that has to be revealed to you. It's an initiative that God takes the initiative to reveal the mystery of who Jesus is, the mystery of the Gentiles being included uh, in the body of Christ, that's a, that's a revealed mystery that only God can take the initiative and do for you and for I. So it's a, it's a mystery that God takes that initiative. And that's how Paul uses that mystery, that Jesus Christ is the source and the substance of the mystery that Paul uses here. Now, the Ten Commandments, that's no mystery. You, you, you obey the Ten Commandments, you do these kind of things, usually good things happen. And that's really all world religions and worldviews. They basically, it's a works, you know, you do ding, 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 and then this stuff should happen as a result. One, two, three, four, five. All religions, Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, all worldviews are basically that kind of thing. You perform, and this goes on. But the mystery of the gospel is totally different than that. It's totally different than that. It's basically that Jesus Christ was a loser. He died on a cross. What's, what's, what's with that? It's not how much you work for your salvation. It's Jesus Christ working for you at the cross. It, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. The gospel is that kind of deal. It's not do, 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 do. It's done. It's what Christ has done for you. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, pretty exciting stuff. I'm going, taking my, my, my daughter back to Fayetteville to camp. And she says, Dad, let's listen to Matt Chandler. And I'm going, it's pretty good when your daughter wants you to listen to sermons when you're driving. Wow, right? That was pretty good. So we listened to three Matt Chandler uh, sermons on the way to Fayetteville. And one of those is a great illustration of grace that Matt Chandler used. He said, you know, it's a little bit like the guy who goes to work 
These guys work 14 hours, 16 hours a day. Like, I got to pay off that mortgage, man. I'm going to work till I pay off that mortgage. And his wife calls up and says, honey, honey, come home. The mortgage has been paid. Why are you working so hard? That's, that's kind of like, like America. We're, we're working, working. You think we've got to perform to earn or merit God's love. And it's already there. It's been that Christ paid the debt for our sin. We are loved extremely. We're known inside and out and loved anyway. That's the counterintuitive, doesn't make sense gospel. But it's the great news that's there. It's the pie. Tastes good. Grace is good. Second point, grace is good. Finally, third point, third point. Church is light. Well, that doesn't light, but that's okay. That's right. The candles don't anything. Ah, good call, Kim. All right, I kind of like my candle. All right. All right. Kim's always behind me, man. He's taking care of stuff. It's all good. All right. Now, in verse 10 and 11, it says this. Paul says this. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known. Paul says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known. In our culture today, uh, they, it, it, the, the church is becoming more and more sidelined. It seems to be not a real significant player. 81% of Americans say, you know, you can be a good Christian and have nothing to do with the body of Christ. 81%. I don't think God has given up on the church yet. The church is the communicator and the witness to God's amazing grace. The local church, I believe, is the hope of the world. Philip Yancey, Gordon McDonald said this. The world can do almost anything as well or better than the church, says Gordon MacDonald. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. MacDonald put his finger on the church's single most important contribution. Where else can, where else can the world go to find grace? Now, Philip Yancey has his own story. Philip Yancey is an author and written some great books. What's so amazing about grace? Terrific book that Yancey wrote. In his own, his own story, he grew up in kind of a legalistic home. They kind of beat him up, went to a college, and he kind of rebelled. And just, you know, Christian school said, hey, I want nothing to do with that kind of deal. He kind of went off and did his own thing. But he has this story. This is a great quote. of kind of, This is kind of Philip Yancey's kind of a life expression. I love it. He said, Philip Yancey said this, I left the church because I could find so little grace. That's the next, that's the next uh, slide. I left the church because I could find I could find so little grace there, but I came back to the church because I could find grace nowhere else. You know, we got warts, don't we? We got warts, we got issues, we got struggles. But the body of Christ is the purveyor, is the communicator of God's amazing grace. That's our high calling. The world has a lot of stuff going on, don't they? They have all kinds of you have, you know, if you see the world's history, you have governments rise and fall, and kings come up and down. You got um, all kinds of stuff going on. But the church, though it, seems, it tends to be marginalized in many people's minds, the church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. We, warts and all, are to communicate the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's beautiful. It says in verse 10 and 11, it says that even uh, rulers and authorities in heaven long to see, it says in verse 10, what they long to see is the gospel having an impact upon people's lives as we learn to love each other. They love to see the gospel of grace lived out in the body of Christ. And as we pass that on to those about us, that is amazing news. Now, in conclusion, in conclusion today, I got three points, three points. You might put those up there. That's great. Here's three points. And here it is. The first one is you need, we all need three conversions. Everybody needs three conversions. The first conversion is to Christ. The first conversion is to Christ. The world is hard. The world is difficult. 
Martin Luther said that we're all curved in on ourselves. We're selfish. We're rebellious. We experience a lot of hard things in the world. But the great news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come. The death that you deserve, Christ died that you might live a life that he's always wanted for you. Have you made that commitment? Have you understood the grace of Jesus Christ and said yes to him? Have you made that conversion to Christ? But the second is, have you made that conversion to the local church? Have you made that conversion to people that, again, I've been involved in a lot. I, I keep joking. But I'm, when, I, when I retire, I'm going to write a book, and it's called A Thousand and One Reasons Not to Go to Church. It's going to be it, because I've heard probably 998 of them, and I've probably heard three more before I'm done. There are a thousand reasons not to go. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, come on down. We'll need one more. You know, whatever. You know, whatever it might be. So there, there are issues here. I agree. But the, the body of Christ is a place where, and God hasn't given up on the body of Christ, where people extend grace to one another. Uh, they'll know you're Christians by your love, and God uses it. Um, I did a little study myself, and, and, and there are about, we've got a third. If you're a guest here, again, we're delighted to have you here today. Well, I did a little study. We have about 1,000 members on our roll, about 1,000 members. Best of my figuring, about 420 of those are somehow connected in some kind of relationship. It could be on a ministry team. It could be in a small group. It could be some kind of place. Well, unless you're known, you know, you can, we can walk in, we can walk out. Great. Love to have you. But to be a part of the body of Christ, you've got to be in connected in relationship. And we really, we really encourage folks to do that here. So maybe you need to take that step to be converted to the church in a sense, in a sense of the body of Christ. Uh, I guess it was Augustine that said, as God is my father, the church is my mother. Um, if you're going to be a player, you need to be on a team. You said, hey, I'm a baseball player. Well, if you're a baseball player, what's your team? Well, if you say you're a Christ follower, but you're not a part of the body, well, are you a player? I don't know. So conversion to church, where are you today with that? Maybe that's something you need to experience conversion to church. And finally, a conversion to the world, a conversion to the world. I just had a great time. We took about 12 of us, went to Denver, Colorado. We, we, Mary Margaret Hagen, one of our church members, works in a ministry there called Mile High Ministries, helping under-resourced families find housing and work. And we went to World Vision, which is a great organization. We put these t-shirts together that they, they, all, they, all, they all said Denver World Champions. They're worthless shirts, so we're sending them overseas. You can't buy a Denver World Champion. They were not World Champion, right? So uh, they, they can't sell them America, so we're shipping them. Anyway, it's a great story. But anyway, so we, we, we packaged all these sh- stuff up. We had a great time together. We had retired people. We had high school folks. We had people of all ages. We went and served. We went somewhere and served together. Wow, that was great. Now, we can serve locally. It's, a, it's not an either or. It's a both and. We really develop community as we go and serve. You know, we here at First Church, we don't want to say, hey, hey, come, come, come. We want to be a church that goes that goes and serves people, that loves folks for Christ's sake. So are you, are you using your gifts and talents to make an impact? You can do that, sure, in your job, in your neighborhood. But when you, when you do it together, there's a blessing there that people experience as we serve together. You know, when I, uh, I, I had six qualities of the girl I was going to marry. And uh, one of them was that she'd be from Dallas, be willing to be married in Dallas. And uh, she's from Amarillo. I'm embarrassed to tell you that she got, we got married in Dallas. But anyway, but that was a quality. I, I wanted my friends at the wedding. But anyway, here's the point. One of the other qualities that I asked to, uh, that I really wanted in the girl that I married was that she have a vision for ministry, a vision for ministry. You know, and, and, and be quite honest, there are givers and takers in this world. And, you know, we all, when we see a taker, we kind of go, oh, okay. But I wanted to marry a giver. 
Someone who had a vision to serve and to give their life away in the cause of the kingdom. And I married one of those kind of people. She's a giver. But what about you today? Are you a giver? Are you a server? And that's what we all need to be converted to that, to be a server and giver to the world. Three conversions. A conversion to Christ. A a conversion to the body of Christ. And a conversion to the world. Uh, That's what I think uh, we're all called to do. Life is hard. Yes, it is. Grace is good, for sure. And are we a light to the world? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a a wretch like me. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit, that you might do your work in our lives. That we might be truly converted to Christ. Understand your grace. That we might be converted to the body of Christ. We might know people. We might work through those kind of relationships. Love folks for Christ's sake. Then finally, Lord, call us to go. Use our gifts and talents to make a difference in this world for Christ's sake. And Lord, may you receive the glory, honor, and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.